0: My name is Charlotte Valden and I am a writer, a driver, a journalist, a classic car adventurer um, and I also really love The Great Outdoors.
1: I've hit record now, okay. so, so all of the whinging that we've been doing needs to be non, non-named whinging now. Um, the the premise is casual chat so rather than just having a casual chat and not recording it we might as well have a casual chat and record it Cool. so hopefully it's loud enough because I'm much louder than you and that's not a technical thing that's my voice oh it's the pitch of a voice isn't it yeah Yeah. and Grace says this all the time that my voice sits at like a frequency that just goes (laughs) so I could be sat like three rooms away and you'll say something and just go through the walls and everything
0: The neighbours down the uh, end of the Crescent can hear you. Yeah,
1: like, I think my, uh, my next-door neighbour knows whenever I'm about to come round and get a package that's been delivered, because like, by the time I get there, the door's already open, and she's like, here's your package, I yeah. you your coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think hopefully the sound's all right. I've made yours a little bit higher so okay. that it...
0: is that. Do you want me to put it more central? No, no, it yeah. should
1: be fine, as long as your voice is coming through. Um, I don't edit these unless there's a specific thing that has to be removed for like mm. potential legal reasons and stuff like that. Um, but I'm giving you a heads up just because you do so much varied work. Um, but yeah, let's let's crack on, I suppose. Cool. So the, there's only one piece of structure to this, and that is who are you and what do you do?
0: My name is Charlotte Valden, and I am a writer, a driver, a journalist, a classic car adventurer, um, and I also really love the great outdoors.
1: I'm not going to be able to put that all in the, I start the start that title. Again? No, no, no. no? it's it's the intro right. so that's it i clip that bit and then that makes the intro and then there's noise and then the bit that we just recorded will start okay. but normally i go like who you are as part of the title I'm Sure. that one's going to be
0: i would say so writer gonna go, driver journalist
1: i'm going i'm just going to go journalist okay and then we can talk about all the other stuff and people can listen and find out okay um but it is quite a lot of stuff it's not like you're like i do this one thing because mm-hmm. a lot of people are like this is me this is what i do My whole personality is this. To a certain extent, I have three things, I suppose, like clothing, events, podcast. That's not my entire personality. But some people are really like, I am a writer, and that's my whole life is writing. Mm -hmm. But you've got quite a lot of variety. So talk me through the different things that you're doing and how that kind of started and came about.
0: Gosh, well, where to start? I mean, if I really take it back to the beginning... Uh, as a kid, I didn't have a great time at school, so I spent a lot of time on my own at home crafting and writing poetry. I thought you
1: were going to say crying. Then, no, so. oh well, that too, that too, that
0: did happen. Um, but that happened after school in my granddad's Ford Escort. Um, so that was my little safe space. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I was yeah, I, spent, I was a loner, but uh, a happy loner because I, I was quite. You know, I am creative. Um, and that manifested itself you know by making stuff but also writing and it was the granddad that I just mentioned yeah. who used to pick me up from school that said to me, "You know one day you're going to show all these kids um that you know you can be someone and he encouraged me to sort of really like push with my writing, so I used to write him a lot of poems, and uh, he actually lost his sight in the end but I used to write letters to him, and my auntie or my dad would read them to him, and he just he just really encouraged me to sort of pursue the power that I had with words, and um, that led to me going into like into journalism. And I've actually got a tattoo on my right wrist, and it says "Show them how it's done." Um, it's got S T H I D. All right, it's not the full. No, It goes all the way around. I've <laughs> tempted to do it along the arm, but it's just just on the on the wrist, and he just said show him how it's done darling and he said to me you'll get a column in the times one day
1: that's the goal then
0: yeah that was the goal um and so i actually ended up working at the sunday times and the times for 10 years Nice. Uh, so i managed it and that's all thanks to good old gramps and those sort of you know chuvian um sort of conversations in his Ford escort after school and um, yeah, so I, I started out, I guess, in sort of traditional journalism. I spent 15 years in national newspapers. Right. And that all began with a terribly worded email.
2: <laughs> uh, so I
0: was at university in Colchester at the time. And this was, you know, the oldie times before social media was I'm not really ask a thing because
1: that will make you feel better I can't I mean, think pre- I'm 34
0: um, but this was very very early doors facebook um, Right.
1: because facebook was what 2004 2005 when it came out in like america Yeah. i think it was like 2006 or 7 when it came over here
0: i think it might be in 2007 Right. Um, and uh I was uh, in a local library and I sat there with physical newspapers and I went through the pages and I found all the email addresses I could. And they'd be like letters at whatever or yeah, yeah. You know, complaints at whatever.
1: Something that's like a five-minute task now. Yeah. You just go, oh, I want to know this email address and then here they are.
0: yeah Or well, you find people's social media addresses and you yeah, yeah. DM them or you know, at them or whatever. Um, but and was... I still
1: never get a reply. Yeah. I think there's a few... Like magazine people that I've like their email address and that I don't want to spill the beans, but if you go on Magneto's website, their mobile numbers are on there. Oh, are and I'm like, I could just text them. And be like, <laughs> Hey,
0: what's that called? Yeah, like, <laughs> at, like,
1: that's an aggressive first move though. A FaceTime. Yeah. Just a random number decides to FaceTime. You should you. try it. <laughs>
2: oh, I don't
1: know. I, I, I met, so I met David Lillywhite at um, the Savile Row concourse last year. Mm-hmm. And while we were chatting, um, Oh, what's his name? Brian Johnson from uh, ACDC turned oh, up. Ledge. Which is a wild place to be stood. Like, I was, I was like, it's the editor of Magneto. Oh, and there's Brian Johnson <laughs> from ACDC. And he's got a flip phone.
0: Oh, superb! Like, I love that.
1: But we were. Ch- I was chatting with David and he was like, oh, Brian's on his way. He's just called me to ask if it's okay to wear shorts. And I was stood in shorts. I was like, well, nobody stopped me so <laughs> far. I've got
0: my knees yeah, out. And I was like,
1: <laughs> and it's my birthday. So... But yeah, their, their mobile numbers are on the website.
0: Oh. But I don't know if
1: it's actually their mobile number. I'm really tempted to find it and just FaceTime. A
0: good way mm-hmm. to find out is add someone on WhatsApp because, because then, then the their... picture comes up. I do that a lot.
1: <laughs> well, you're one of those people that, so when you open your WhatsApp and you just get a random message from a stranger. You're like, the fuck are you? And it's normally someone like, I work in recruitment and we're looking for people in your area. And then every so often it's you going, hey, can I interview yeah, you, please?
0: <laughs> absolutely, that is me. I've got so many numbers on my phone. Mystery caller one, mystery caller two, yeah, mystery yeah. <laughs> like who are you? Um, and if you miss it, you had them on WhatsApp to see. But, yeah, I've done that a lot of sort of... It's always an awkward one, sort of introducing yourself if you've not met in person before. Yeah. Um, you know, and ha- having someone's number, it feels very personal. Whereas, you know, emails or social media, it's a little bit more kind of like there is that that barrier, but someone's mobile phone is very much into their personal space. Yeah, Um, well, not
1: mine, because my phone is always on silent.
0: Yeah, mine too.
1: So I'm like almost uncontactable in an emergency, because it's just on silent. I used to have an Apple Watch, and that was like my justification, I've got my Apple Watch, Mm or Buzz. And then I've really gotten back into, like, normal watches. And now I have my own watch. So I'm, like, Mm. never going to wear an Apple watch again.
0: What made you move away from the Apple watch?
1: I got a Casio for Christmas. Okay. I've always been interested in watches. Not to the level that I'm interested in cars, but I appreciate a watch. And then um, I think Casio did a Pac-Man version one. Mm, And me and my mate were like, this is quite cool. It's, like, 200 quid. I was like, I quite like a Casio. Just as a plain everyday watch. So Grace bought me one for Christmas. And then I went and bought a gold one after Christmas as like a, oh, I'm really going to lean into this. And then I just wear it every day. So I stopped wearing my Apple Watch, which is quite mm. a freeing sensation. Yeah. Because you're not always having this little buzz and you're not always checking. And when I have conversations with people, every little buzz or notification would immediately draw my attention. Mm. I'm now in the process of trying to get a diagnosis for ADHD, which feeds into that. But then you're not engaged in the conversation probably because you're mm. oh my watch is buzzing and then it seems like you're being like rude and bored yeah when you're not you just it's really hard to hold attention when there's something actively vibrating on your arm
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's it's really made a huge difference and then at the same time I'm impossible to get hold of so like that barrier of like your mo- your phone number is directly into your pocket yeah if that person is paying attention to their phones yeah I'm the same I have it
0: on silent and I find um you know social media notifications I pretty much have none on my phone um so nothing really comes up on the screen apart from whatsapp text message and calls nothing else um but it's interesting what you say about you know when you're engaging in conversation with someone so uh, when I was working in newspapers you'd have and I still do now um, but a lot of meetings you had were sort of over coffee and things like that. And so you'd be sat at a table and there was this sort of unwritten code where someone had their phone on the table. They were there
1: but and then really it there.
0: depended which way up it was. So yeah, if it yeah. was face down, they're there, they're with you. Yeah, turn that back <laughs> over. They're there, they're with you, but they, they need that option to have that out. Yeah. If it's face up, then they're looking all the time and you're kind of like "Mm, they're not really engaged with this because every time it flashes you're just taking a look at that and then if it was on loud and it kept me oh my gosh that was like the ultimate like I really don't want to be here with you if the phone was away, you knew that you had that person. Even yeah. if it was for 20 minutes, you had them fully engaged with you. And it was a real kind of unwritten code. Like when you sat like down, it was like someone right. would like put their phone down and you'd be like, okay. If it was screen up, people are like, okay. <laughs> and if, it, you know, it's, it's a weird thing.
1: I know thing. where I stand right now. Yeah. Do you ever encounter people who have the flash on? No. Oh, on the when they, yeah when, when it they it get rings. a message oh yeah. god that is the worst Yeah, I used to think oh that's quite a handy feature and then it'd go off and you're like oh jeez <laughs> like, yeah. why did I do that to myself I encounter a few people and then they'll be looking at their phone and then they'll get a text and then it'll flash mm-hmm. and you're like are you just taking photos of people's feet like what's <laughs> yeah. going on like you're just making yourself seem like a real creep but it is a big thing that like unwritten mm. rule it's the same with um, dating they say a lot of that when they're like oh if you see a couple sat in a restaurant and their phones are on the table It's a bit of a sign. And then people go, Oh, and if their phones are face down, it's like, What have you got to hide? Yeah. But when I go out for dinner with Grace, I'll put my phone on the table so it's not like in my pocket where it will fall out Mm -hmm. face down because then I can't see it.
2: Yeah.
1: But I'm then sat there going, Everybody outside of this relationship thinks that I'm cheating on her because I've got my phone (laughs) face down. I don't want to see (laughs) messages popping up. When in actual fact, it's because if anything pops up on my phone, I immediately look at it because I can't help, I'm like, like a magpie. So it's like this weird little like, in my world, I'm doing a really good thing and giving you all of my attention. And to everybody else, are like, always oh, hiding something. Just don't, <laughs>
0: don't, like, let them judge. You yeah. know, you know what your code is between the two of you. But it's, I think it's a thing now. It's like the, all these things are really designed, even though they're designed to make us be able to connect to one another, it's actually also disengaging with one another. Yeah. And I've got a real thing, I've written about it um, quite a lot, and we've spoken about it um, when I interviewed you about your car, is that... You know, social media is so powerful and it, it can be really helpful, particularly during the pandemic. Um, we were able to create small communities and like have online car shows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's also really bad for anxiety. You know, as a professional, uh as a freelancer, you know, I look at it sometimes and I compare myself to other people. I'm like, I should be doing that. I should have, you know, and it's like, no you're doing you yeah, focus yeah. on that but at the same time i find amazing people doing amazing things and so there are pros and cons but sort of in my when i was working in newspapers like I sort of mentioned earlier it was very early doors social media and so i always saw it as a tool for yeah. work i was very lucky in that that you know i was able to dis- disconnect myself personally from it to a degree because it was like well it's part of my job and this is what the newspaper want me to do with it and I won an award when I was doing the social media for Sunday Times as an influencer now I'd be a bit like <laughs> oh i not sure I, there's yeah, a, yeah. Back oh, I, then I don't know to like, be an influencer I'm not sure about that you were um, influential
1: back then not yeah. you have a big following <laughs> yeah exactly but
0: it wasn't because you know I, I didn't see it as a, a love heart didn't make me feel better about myself because I was doing that for a massive media yeah. enterprise whereas now as a freelancer um you know algorithms have changed and things like that and so you know the stuff I post doesn't get the reach that I got when I was at Sunday Times obviously my name isn't as prestigious as that but
1: well it's your name it's not the yeah. Sunday Times. <laughs> yeah exactly
0: but I I'm still lucky that I compare myself professionally sometimes and think oh you know I, I'm not I could be more successful on TikTok and things like that but I'm not like, actually that's not that's not TikTok, doesn't suit my brain. I think I've got too much of an anxious personality to engage with it, yeah. And not, and I just don't think it'll make me feel good. Whereas I am a writer that I take my time, I really get into stuff, and that suits me on Instagram because you get sort of you know, it's a little bit calmer, you know, there's not yeah, so I know much exactly noise. What you mean. And you're not being taught to like tick you know go through the like you know i'm I'm waving my hands in the air, not that you can see that um <laughs> like a, a like a mad woman um but yeah it's uh it's it's all it's all a bit of a mind muddle sometimes i think technology i think
1: the the mindset that you had about it being a tool is a really valuable one mm. and it is i'm a, a huge hypocrite whenever I say these things because I'm really bad with it and I'm like I'm the person that's like you should get an alarm clock and leave your phone in the other room when you go to bed and you know <laughs> talk to your partner and read a book and stuff like that and then it's eleven thirty at night and I'm on Reddit mm. and I'm really bad at it and I'm sat there going you're really bad at this I'm like yeah I know I should probably put this phone down but it's so addictive and I I can't help but chase the next little bit of whatever
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's because a because they're designed for it and b my brain is really like magpie like and I have to see what's next what's next what's next. Mm-hmm but having the ability to go, this is a tool for purposes. Like I should be able to go, this is for my brand and that's the only thing that I really engage with. And to a certain extent, that is the only reason I use most of it. Like my personal social media, I don't use at all.
2: Mm. Like,
1: I'm not talking about what I'm doing or what I've had for dinner or I think the only thing I've posted about me personally recently was getting engaged like
0: yeah congrats thank you very much superb choice of location as well my friend that looked i got
1: very lucky to be (gasps) fair so for anyone that doesn't know which is everyone who doesn't follow me on social media um grace and i got engaged under the northern lights in the arctic circle in finland um but i got very lucky in that grace wanted to go there Mm -hmm. and planned the whole trip and all i had to do was buy a ring hide it and then show that's, it to her at the that, right moment. That must
0: be... I've never bought anyone a ring before, so how did you cope with that?
1: So it, it came from America. It was made um, by a, a small independent lady over in America. Mm-hmm. Again, didn't even have to d- find that. I got sent a link from Grace like two years ago. She's like, isn't this really you pretty? you kept
0: that. That's, that's, well, she sent it me on Twitter. Planning. We don't really talk yeah. to each
1: other on Twitter, so <laughs> okay. it's just in my DM. It's like my most recent DM <laughs> from Grace on Twitter is that link. Because I think I'd sent her the subscription link for Road Rat or Magneto
2: mm.
1: for like the Christmas list. And she was like, well, why are we sending each other links? Here's one for a ring that I really like. And it's, it's tourmaline rather than like an emerald. So okay. it's a tourmaline sapphire. So it is green, quite dark green. And then it's got two sapphires next to it. Wow. Um, but she picked it. So I didn't even have to do that bit. All I had to do was buy the thing and make sure it arrived in the right time. And then because I'm a car guy... I got like an invoice from UPS for something coming in from America. I was like, ah, it's car parts. Nice and easy. And then I've got boxes of car parts knocking around, so I just hid it in there. Oh, brilliant. Um, But to be fair, the UPS guy both did me a solid and nearly caused the entire downfall of the whole thing. I got the text to say that the import taxes were due, which I completely forgot about. I was like, oh, it's only like X amount. And then there's another 20% when it arrives, and I forgot that bit. I was like, oh, good job I've got a credit card. There we go. (laughs) Um, so I got a text, so I paid the import duties and I used to work for UPS, so I know how the system works mm-hmm. and, uh, the driver put an invoice through the door, but not, not an envelope, not a dra- just invoice with payment due written on it, shoved through the letterbox. Now, three out of five days a week, Grace works from home and it was on one of those mm-hmm. days. So I got a text going, what's this invoice for? Why do you owe £200 for part something from America, like it says Philadelphia, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, it must be those parts I've ordered. I don't know. Maybe they're at the UPS depot. I'll go and pick him up. Drove to the UPS depot in Northampton, which is the other side of town. Got there. I said, look, can I speak to the dispatch manager? I know how all the systems work. I know that this will have been generated automatically, but I've paid them. My guess is that the, that it's here and I can collect what I'm getting while I'm here. Oh no, they're still in Philadelphia what is it I was like it's an engagement ring so I could really do with this not just arriving she's like right got you so the next day the UPS driver called me he's like I'm 10 minutes away are you home I know what this is
0: Bravo and I was like yes UPS
1: man I'm here quick so we managed to like sneakily hide it and it was with enough time that Grace had forgotten what it might be Mm -hmm. before we went away but she was she went and got her nails done the day before we went so I was like oh she must know you don't go and do that and she said, no, I was preparing for an eventuality in case it did happen. She's Aww. like, better to prepare and it not happen than not <laughs> prepare and it does happen. Um, but yeah, we did three Northern Lights tours, because they're not guaranteed. Mm. And on the third one is when we saw the lights. Well, was and there was...
0: a backup plan if the lights hadn't come out that night? <laughs> I
1: came up with the backup plan the day before. Okay. Because I've got a like a camera, like a proper camera. Um And we went to one of these lakes. So basically, you go to like a frozen lake where there's loads of space and it's really like far away from light pollution. Mm -hmm. And you've got a higher chance of seeing them if they are there. And we didn't see them. But I was like, well, I've got my tripod. I've got my camera. Let's do some light painting. So I was doing all the circles and the lines and doing light and just basically passing the time on a frozen lake and showing Grace how to do all this light painting. And I was like, well, I know how you can write words in it because of how it works. I was like, well, if we don't see the lights, I'll just write, marry me, and then ask her to go and check if it's come out okay. And then when she looks at the thing, it'll say, marry me, and then I'll be there with the ring. Like, I had this backup plan, but I didn't get that idea until like the day before we actually saw the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we arrived at the lake, and they popped. And they're like, they can be here for five minutes, they can be here for an hour, you don't know how long you've got. So I was like, running around with the tripod, like, oh my God, I've got to get it, got to get the lights, got to get the like, secret light. I need to get my phone on here to record... So that I can pretend like we're doing the lights photo, and then yeah. it's secretly just video recording. So I got it all on video as well. It's just a really dark video because it's pitch black except for the lights. Um, but yeah, perfectly timed it all. But Just really lucky.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's about me. a oh,
0: Nice story. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, yeah. So that's how, how it all came came together. I just Grace wanted to go there, so I was like, well, capitalise on this opportunity. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's very much off tangent. Love
0: tangents.
1: This is a problem because of the ADHD thing. They happen often. Yeah. And I have to be very conscious that it's not a me story, it's about you.
0: Why? Well, I got engaged uh June last year, so I you can share my go, story. Show me your story. Um, so, um,. I've spoken about the fact that I get quite anxious um, sometimes and a bit of a a kind of antidote to that is to spend time outdoors. Um, And so Christmas day, not this Christmas, just gone the one before me and my other half James, uh, 20, 21, yeah, 21 to 22. Um, my other half, James and I were on top of Snowdon nice in Wales and we just got up to a ridge, um, about 200 meters away from the trig point. And it was really, really, really windy, really icy. And we just thought, you know what? Don't think we want to call Mountain Rescue on Christmas Day. So let's call it and we'll turn around and go back. Enter man walking very small dog out of the mist, making a mockery about <laughs> yeah. like... He's like, morning. You know, it was literally like he was going to get the paper. We were yeah. like, oh, man. But again, a good decision because if you don't feel confident, then you just turn around and go back again. Yeah. Um. And so you had an amazing time at Christmas Day and just away from everything because you know at that time of year there's a lot of pressure um for everything to be perfect and all of these things and I'd just rather be somewhere quiet. that just allows me to decompress that's quiet. Um, so that's what we did and on the way home on Boxing Day I said to James you know work can be really busy and things like that you know we all get that whatever we do for a living it can be busy and intense um, and you don't necessarily always get the time for the people you really care about um, because you get caught up in everything and so I said to him on the way home we should have a challenge that's just for us this year Uh, and there are six main routes to the top of Snowdon like six main um, paths that you can follow and I said let's do those six routes in six months. Oh, um, nice. yeah. And so it's we like started... a travelling to Wales, though. Yeah, so we're in Northamptonshire, so it's not too bad. It's no. about three-ish hours away, a um, bit more in good traffic. Um, so in January, the first weekend of January, we went for it. We did the first one. Uh, so it was snowy and icy and really lovely. Um, and we proceeded to do the six routes, and it got to June for the last one. And that morning, I was down in uh, West Sussex uh, for... Like, um down like a, a goodwood kind way of, yeah down goodwood way uh for an interview uh, for something that is is going to be announced this summer i can't say much Ooh, there might be so. cameras involved you know screens and things like that but i was i was down in west sussex for this um this interview and that night we wanted to be on snowden at midnight so i had to make the journey from west sussex Jeez. to wales got stuck it's not in traffic. that far, is it? yeah <laughs> got stuck in traffic all that kind of thing um and but we managed to get to our campsite by about 10 o'clock at night and set up our tent and we were both lying there thinking you know this is the last summit the weather's looking okay like it wasn't raining anything like that and we wanted to have a sunrise picnic um so we'd pack little G and T. Midnight is
1: far too early to go for a sunrise picnic though. Yeah, You're gonna be celebrated. Like four... Oh right, okay. And this is
0: June, so the sun comes up around like three thirty-four. Yeah. So you can watch that whole like. I'm gonna say I know, thought you process. wanted to
1: get to the peak at midnight and it's like no. you've got three and a half hours <laughs> yeah. at the top yeah, of the I'd mountain Yeah, I'd still go cold, so <laughs> yeah. no, that
0: wouldn't be happening. <laughs> um but so we left, I think it was just about half past twelve in the end. Uh, with our little picnic and things like that, and it the weather was just utterly atrocious. It turned whilst we were on the mountain, and we got to the the trig point, which is like the the top marker of the mountain. Um, for people that kind of don't know, and we walked soaked through, got up to the top, and it was really really windy. And it's quite a wide, you know, sort of slab made of stones, and it's got sort of compass on the top of it. And James is fairly well stocky built, you know, um, and he got down on the floor. I thought he was sheltering from the wind. So I got on the floor with him and i was like, no, what no. are you doing? <laughs> and it, you're literally shouting because the wind's howling and, and I'm getting nearly blown off the top. And this trig point is actually quite high. So if you're blown off, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, so I get on the floor as well. And he sort of faffing around with his jacket and I just thought he was faffing and I was like why are we still on here <laughs> so he had to bought engagement one mission oh, he gosh. was like no it's too too bad so we come down off the trig point and at the top of Snowden, there's a cafe it's not open um, it hasn't been open for three years um, but it's going to be open this summer but it's um, a really pleasant place where people like to go and have a wee right Um, because it's a shelter
1: smells lovely though yeah yeah. Yeah. so
0: that's where we decided to stop and take (laughs) off top layer of wet clothes and put some dry ones on and then put our coats back on um and james decided that that wasn't a really nice point to to propose he abandoned that idea and then as we were walking back down um we got to like i don't know 10 minutes from there (laughs) and he was like let's stop for a selfie and this whipping with rain it's really gross I love a selfie and I was like absolutely not I'm like, like James never wants a selfie yeah, yeah. I was like what is wrong with you I'm cold I'm wet it's dark blah, blah, blah. and he was like "No, come on come on and then he proposed he got down on one knee and then out of the mist this group come along and I'm flapping and I'm crying I'm like I got engaged they couldn't care less I was like you miserable so and so but yeah so that's how we got engaged it was on the 6th summer it. And it was, you know, technically everything went wrong—the weather, you know, where he wanted to propose. But actually, it, it's kind of a reflection on life. Is like you make these grand plans, sometimes they don't work out. And actually, I love that story. Yeah, you know, I ruined the first one because I got on the floor with him. <laughs> you know, the weather was gross, and and actually, it was lovely. And it, yeah, I, I couldn't couldn't want it any different really. And it was his um, great auntie Millie's um old wedding ring. Oh, amazing. That he gave me just like a gold band and <laughs> car tangent. My my second Ford Fiesta, I called her Millie, right. which is why he's he decided that Millie's ring would be my ring. Yeah. And if I ever have a little girl, I'm going to call her Millie after my Ford Fiesta. So there's a Not weird car tangent there. Not after the so, family member, there, yeah. after the car. <laughs> yeah. So it's after the Ford Fiesta um so, one day yeah. your
1: little girl's gonna find this I'm like you always <laughs> said it was after great art Millie nope.
0: like, no it's the
1: car <laughs> it was Ford
0: Fiesta that went rusty and went to the scrap heap in the sky
1: <laughs> amazing yeah but those those stories are like they mean so much more like I know that I got very lucky and it all went really well and it's quite nice to go oh, I did it under the northern lights, Blah blah blah. but it, it wasn't the fact that it was under the northern lights it was the fact that I was on an adventure with my best friend mm-hmm. like that's the fun bit. It's not the, oh, the, the Instagram photos will look amazing. Oh, oh, I've got so many likes on my Instagram because of it. Like, yeah, whatever. Mm. But I've got this video that only a few people have seen because it's not, a, it's not one of those like public videos anyway. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment where we're in minus 27 degrees, right? Wow, You have to cold. take a glove off to put a ring wow. on, right? So Grace gets all excited, loses the glove that she's taken, like, and just launches it. It's pitch black other than the Northern Lights. And then we spent, like, five minutes <laughs> looking for these bloody gloves. And then she was on the phone to her mum and dropped her gloves again. And, like, those are the bits that mean a lot. It's not yeah. the, oh, aren't I amazing at planning and getting this all right. It's the, like, the the bits that you remember and never the, the like, the highlights. It's yeah. always the little things that are so more personable.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like, I was, so Grace has a thing where she gets really excited. She, like, like condenses down into, like, a little ball. Mm-hmm. So her, her sister went and lived in New Zealand for a year and came back like a month early and didn't tell her. And we've got this video and just she just squashes down and like curls up in a ball on the floor with excitement and like, oh my God, this is so unexpected. And I was expecting that and I was like, oh shit, it's like three foot of snow. Like if she just curls <laughs> up, I'm going to lose her. But she did the opposite. She was like bouncing around, jumping around, running around, it's like a puppy.
2: Aww. But
1: that means way more. And it's so much mm-hmm. more exciting to think of that stuff than all of the, like, the highlight reel stuff. And mm. same with your story. You can have a laugh at the fact that everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. In the like, oh, the weather was crap. We couldn't do it at the top. All of those bits actually make it more interesting. Yeah. And it's the same with like cars and with life. And if I just get it back onto a car tangent, mm. like my little Renault stuff always goes wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But I love that little car because it's so much more interesting. Yeah. If I'd spent 20 grand on a pristine car and everything just worked, yeah, it'd be great, but I wouldn't appreciate it for its quirks. Mm. I wouldn't look on it as funnily as I do for my, my 500 quid Renault 5 with a dent on one door and it's about to have bright orange seats in it and stuff like that. It's so much more interesting to have those little quirks and the little bits that make it your story rather than a story.
0: Absolutely. Um, It's interesting, like, with the whole, like, you know, the kind of Insta moment grand plan thing. So uh, I inherited an MJ Roadster from my granddad, um, and he bought it for himself as a retirement present. She's chariot red, um, black soft top, all the chrome, absolutely stunning car, and he really looked after her, um, and he was very much a high days, holidays, sunny days driver. I am to a point i you know i've taken it to the highlands in november i've taken it to lake district in november you know snow bad weather i I wouldn't do that every year for sure um but i've when it's worth it i'll do it um and that's the car that kind of got me into cars my dad's a mechanic by trade i've been brought up going to air shows car shows wasn't really interested I was into crafting and writing poetry yeah, yeah. um and so it, child I kind of the Hertfordshire countryside yeah absolutely <laughs> so I kind of came to it you know in my late 20s and the the MGA has just changed my life it's it's given me a new purpose um in, both in terms of my professional life but also my personal life um and in 2019 my dad and I signed up um, with a couple of other MG drivers to drive our MGs to Everest Base Camp uh, in the northern side. Um,
1: That's insane.
0: Yeah, and it took a year to plan, and we were supposed to be there in 2020. Um, But you can imagine, you know, preparing uh, an MGA for all the terrains. So we were driving from Bangkok all through Southeast Southeast Asia, China, Tibet, Nepal... (laughs) And then it was being shipped home from Kolkata, so a train journey through India and um, freight train with the car. Uh, this whole trip was planned. My car was at Felixstowe docks in February 2020, ready to be put into a February container. as well. Yeah. And the the Sunday before we took it to Felixstowe, on the radio in the garage, my dad and I were doing the last checks. And you think we've worked through this all winter getting the car ready, you know. Everything from having an engine rebuild to suspension uprated, you know, putting secret compartments underneath the car to hide medication, all kinds of like adventure spec work has been done on this car. And also for my dad, as someone that's self-employed, doesn't like traveling, for him to sign up to take in four months off work. And travelling around the world in a car that he's going to have to fix.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's not just four months off work, is it? It's four months of work, just not for anyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so for him to sign up to that as well was a big deal. Um, And I'd been made redundant in the end of 2019. So for me, it was the perfect time, early 2020, to go on this adventure as a reset in this car. And just, you know, huge, so much going on this trip. Because I found losing my job through redundancy really hard and and we can come back to that because it it, it was horrendous but this trip everything was pinned on this for me and my dad um and that sunday we're in the in the garage checking the car it's got a cracked radiator you don't set off on a trip with a cracked and it was a brand new radiator as well so when it
1: arrived from the the place you bought it from with a crack
0: so yeah we but we didn't know so we'd put it in um, we well, don't then, check for it
1: because it's brand new yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: and my dad just noticed a little dribble um, like a white crusty <laughs> crusty dribble line and so we're thinking that's gotta that's gotta be fixed but the car's going to Felixo tomorrow and on the radio we're listening to all this news about this thing in China yeah, and yeah. At that point, it was like, oh, it's just the flu, it'll clear up, blah, blah, blah. And so my dad went down to Moss in South London, I think it was, to get radio to that morning whilst I took the car to Felixstowe. He managed to get there, put this new radio. To- it was just, it all came together. So top we got the- it was, it was amazing. And we got the car there. And, and then it was another two weeks before it was due to sale. And, you know, listening to the radio, watching the news. And it was purely because our itinerary involved 20 days in mainland China that we decided not to go. And the logistics of it are that to get a visa for China, you have to have a flight. But because we were overlanding and not flying, you know, we had to book a flight and then cancel it. But at that point, the flights had been cancelled to China. So we couldn't get visas. And so purely because of the logistics of being in China... We cancelled this trip. We called the shippers and said, we can't do it. Everyone in my bubble was like, what are you doing? Yeah. This is just the flu. Because people didn't appreciate the logistics of travelling through seven countries. The fact that the big country in the middle of the trip, we can't get to. And you can't get a visa if you're in another country. You have to be in your home country to get it. And that in itself, A, cancelling the trip... And then B having to deal with everyone around you going, what "You're an hell? idiot! Yeah, yeah. Why have you cancelled this? You can still go!" And it's like, "No, we really can't." And then everything else happened, and then the whole world went to shut down. But it, um, you know, the the pandemic for me, I, I I was very lucky, and I'm not saying that my pandemic was terrible because it really was for a lot of people. We just missed out on this trip, and grand scheme of things, that's not a worries me story. But it's one of these things where. It was a lesson for me in the sense that I had this huge plan and it, it floored me not to have it. Um, but the car was safe. Yeah. Me and my dad were safe. The ship that it was due to sail on actually got stuck at sea for like months and then ended up in China. So had I put my car in that ship, I may never have seen it again. So yeah. good call. Um, and then to celebrate the first non the, the first day, you didn't have to have a reason to drive somewhere uh, my dad and I second navigated the M25 and it was actually <laughs> a
1: horrible place oh, to drive but do you
0: know what we did it a half past where four. should we
1: go oh I know the <laughs> M25 but
0: it was a challenge it was like we left at 4.30 in the morning because my dad was working still because he's a mechanic so he's yeah. sort of um, key worker work, yeah. and we we were driving around the M25, and it was actually the day that we had everything gone to plan, we would have been at Northern Base Camp, um, or the car park. Yeah. You know, um, and it was just, we just drove and we thought at least we're here, we're safe, and, you know, we went to South Mim services. You didn't even get to really one of the good horrible. ones. No, no, it had to be a rubbish one. <laughs> and I'd, like, printed out these 25 facts about the Dem 25. So I so was driving Combin's around. The got,
1: like, so much going <laughs> for it, and you're like, nah, South Mim's will get that like, BP yeah. instead. <laughs> it was
0: horrible. It was absolutely horrible, but... It was, a, as I say, it was a good thing. Sometimes, yes, I think in life it's amazing to have these huge, grand plans. It's good to have aspirations and goals. And then sometimes when that stuff doesn't work out, it can be really hard to deal with. But actually, it's also like treasure the small stuff, yeah. you know, because, it, it, you know, you've got to try and enjoy what you've got now. And actually, going around the M25, it was amazing. It was great because it was something after three and a half months of yeah, yeah. nothing. It really, it changed my mindset of like, you don't always have to have this like, you know, you don't have to better, you don't have to this, that and the other, don't get me wrong, if I could have the opportunity to do it, I would, I wouldn't do it in my MGA though, um, it's too precious, That's I, I the, couldn't I do, I do it now. it was a
1: bit of a brave move with your grandad's yeah. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Very it had happened, hardy. it
0: would have happened, yeah. um, and we, we were doing it, but... You know, I still think he, <laughs> it's his fault there was a global pandemic because he just <laughs> didn't want that car to get it, yeah. to go to China.
1: <laughs> we were in um, Barcelona for Valentine's Day that year. Oh, really, yeah. It was like I think we got back on the seventeenth, mm-hmm. and while we were there, Grace was like, "I don't feel very well," no. <laughs> so she so like we had to go and find a pharmacy for some like paracetamol and stuff like that. And then like a month later, obviously everything happened, and we were like. Oh, right, yeah, that could have been what that was. Because yeah. it was like a, a, the cold plus. Like It yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't just a cold. It was like plus, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like, this is a really bad cold. What's going on? It must just be the Spanish climate or whatever acting up on it and then we got back and she was like oh shit maybe maybe that's what it was so
0: my best friend lauren and i had gone to uh, oslo i think we went to or no uh, but Ber- oh, somewhere in Nor- we went somewhere in norway the december and uh, she- i i think she's patient zero um <laughs> because she came back from this trip and she had the- i shouldn't laugh really because it was horrible but she had the worst cough ever and she had it for months and i was like you brought it to you yeah, UK. It's all you're for. <laughs> yeah all your fault. yeah
1: and then she's like, "You were with me the whole time. Yeah, you didn't get it." So yeah.
0: I'm just so germified that nothing's yeah. like that. Nothing was latched
1: yeah. onto this because this isn't video. You can't see the big plastic bubble that you're yeah. hazmat
2: suit. Yeah,
1: it's a stranger's house. I've got to wear. I've
2: got to yeah. It
1: Makes you feel better. Grace is very OCD as well. I mean, like to the point where I'm like, we need to have a conversation about you washing your hands. Oh, like, really? Because it's it's not too much, mm-hmm. but she thinks about everything. So the other day, she was like, "You know how you go to the toilet before you have a shower? Do you put the shower on first? I was like, "Yeah, I put the shower on to get the heat in, mm-hmm. then I go to the toilet, then I get in the shower." She said, like, "Oh, good." I was like, "Why?" She went, "Well, you're not touching the toilet before the taps, and then the taps." Are the- I was like, "It doesn't matter which order I touch mm-hmm. the things. I'm in the shower; it's all got water and soap all No, No, no. If you went to the toilet and then got in the shower, and then I was you flushed the germs. toilet and then touched the tower, the shaps and. The- taps in the shower transferred all those toilet germs to the shower taps i'm like okay
0: well i think like that too
1: <laughs> this is what i mean Genu- i so say the same sort of thing to james he's like
0: parts. so and i'm like yeah but it's transfer
1: and then I'm like, I grew up out in the Derbyshire countryside, I would pee in a hedge and then go and have dinner. Like, yeah. you know, If I was so going to have a problem. Then... I, go, I do
0: that on the mountains and then I go and have like whiskey and chips in the pub. So, yeah. you know.
1: It's like you're eating those chips with your fingers, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But that's countryside. <laughs> so, yeah. For some reason, they it's okay. <laughs> in the
1: house gyms are different. Yeah. They're more so civilised. Yeah. Um, they're more grown up.
0: So what was the first trip that you guys did after the lockdown sort of finished for the first time?
1: Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. A, because I have a bad memory, and B, because I don't think it was until like 2021 mm. that we did anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally can't remember. Mm. We've done quite a lot of trips. And we do, like, we went to Cyprus last year, and obviously Finland this year, and going to Le Mans in June. Well, I am, Grace oh. is planning on going to like Spain or something with her sister. Mm-hmm. And then I think we're going to Italy in September, which makes it sound like we live like a proper like lush lifestyle. It's just Finland we we've been paying for since like October last year. Le Mans, I'm going with my mates on a road trip because it's my thirtieth. Like the next week, the weekend after Le Mans, and then Italy is like Grace's parents are going, so they've just gone. Or well, we've got a villa, it's got an extra room. Mm-hmm. Just pay for flights, so it's it's kind of like we're fortunate. I'm not in any way doubting that we're fortunate like it's not a cheap thing to do three trips in one year yeah but it's not like we're like yeah we're minted so we're just going to do what we want all the time but also
0: you can travel to a degree don't get me wrong it's much more expensive than it used to be but you know you can do things on a budget
1: well we did so my original plan for getting engaged was to go to Zadar in Croatia Mm -hmm. um, because that's the first holiday we ever did together Um, or the the first part we did Paris which is another story involving my brother and the French Foreign Legion. Um, which I'll tell you that one off. I think I've already told that one on here and it won't add to this conversation. Um, but we did 10 days in Zadar for the same amount of money as four days in Paris. Wow. And we'd gone to Zadar with an apartment and like it had bikes and stuff like that so we could get around. Yeah. And in Paris, it was like a small hotel room, yeah, yeah. which was like 300 yards Paris from... Paris is... Ugh, yeah, and we were intense, near the Moulin though. Rouge, which I didn't oh. know. And the Moulin Rouge is in the centre of the red light district, mm. which I also didn't know. I thought it was the theatre and it was all fancy because of the film, which I've never seen. So I was like, <laughs> no <laughs> really idea what it is. did your research on this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's Paris, everything's nearby. It's like yeah. London, you just get on a train and off you go. Um, yeah, so Zadar, I think we, it was about a grand for each. Mm-hmm. But a thousand pound in Paris gets you four days and like you're still eating pastries and a thousand pounds in Zadar gets you a week, and you can go on like excursions toward the national forests and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. it's where you kind of direct it. Um, but the reason Zadar was where I was going to go to get engaged was there's a thing called the oh, it's called like the Monument to the Sun.
2: Okay.
1: And it's basically a big mirror right on the edge of the um, harbour. It's like an ancient city, so it's a thousand year old. It's a big circle, and at sunrise, it reflects the sunrise. So it's really, really cool, really yeah. pretty. And there's the the ocean harmonica, I think they call it. or the, I think they call it the ocean organ, which sounds weird. But basically, there's, in the, the harbour wall, there's um, some gaps. And when the waves go in, it makes noise. But it's, like, to a tune. That's really so cool. cool. So my plan was at sunrise with the sun and all that. And then Grace was like, oh, we should go to Finland and go see the Northern Lights. I was like, yes, let's do that instead. I'll
2: take that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, like you say, you can travel reasonably affordably. Like, £1,000 is still a lot of money. Mm. I'm not in any way downplaying that. I've sold a lot of t shirts for £1,000. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my whole life. They is come now out in...
0: every fortnight, you say, <laughs> isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. New design every month. Yeah, this every one's month, so the yeah. Le Mans focused one. Um, but yeah, so it's it's all relative, isn't it? Mm. It's the same. Like, if I wanted to go to, I did the North Coast 500, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing you've done. Yeah. Is that what you did in the MG?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I think that was like 700 quid. Yeah. Because of the fuel and the hostels and stuff like that. Like even staying in the country and just doing something of interest, mm-hmm. it's not cheap. No. I think someone said the other day, they were looking at going to Skeg in a caravan. It's like 1,500 quid for a week. Yeah. And they're like, so we're going to go drive to Croatia for 600 pounds. Like, it's it's all relative.
0: It's it is tough, like, you know, travelling and road trips. Like, you know, the point you touched on there is that it's the cost of the fuel as well as the accommodation now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that makes it more prohibitive to people. Um, you know, I'm lucky that when I go out on the MGA, you know, I go with my dad, so So he can pay. No, no, no. My dad's I'm very like, you know, we're either half, half or I'll pay. Yeah, I'm yeah. like really um i'm a
1: grown-up yeah absolutely
0: um he's so lucky
1: Um, (laughs) but
0: you know we we can do that like between us and and with that you know i've got a mechanic on board yeah so i don't have to call out you know i've got my um sort of insurance cover like i work with Haggerty quite a lot and stuff like that so i have got that backup but i don't have to pay for a mechanic because i've got dad so that does save me a little bit of money um
2: it's, it's
1: invaluable like just having those connections with people like my um have you met luke from ludon classics no might be an interesting one for you to speak to he's been on the podcast so he is amenable to a conversation <laughs> as uh, as grumpy as he can be from time to time but his family run run a recovery company mm. so if i get to like a worst case scenario where i'm in sat waiting for the aa for eight hours or something's catastrophically failed it's a bit of a lifeline to go what what do i do or can you help like having someone with that knowledge is so invaluable, especially mm. if you've got any interest in old cars, especially old French cars, because they love a breakdown. Oh, yeah. Like we had an evening in Aylesbury on the way back from oh, the cocktail time <laughs> in a bus stop.
0: Oh, <laughs> even better. You just um, see everyone else on their journeys yeah. going past. You well, it was
1: in the middle of the fuel crisis. Oh. So um, we, I thought, oh, it's, it's down to about a quarter of a tank, and a quarter of a tank is a mystery zone, because it could be zero, it could be a quarter. You just, it's better to play it safe. We were coming through Aylesbury and it just cut out. So we were then just like coasting through Aylesbury, like on a hill. I was like, we're just going to have to see how far this will go. And I'll just keep trying to bump it as we go. Yeah. And it wouldn't, like, it just died. So we pulled into this bus stop and I was like, oh, I did not even got a petrol can. So I, went, oh, I can't remember how it went. Anyway, there was a, a takeaway opposite us. And there was like six Asian guys just milling around, like the delivery drivers and the guys working in the restaurant, blah, blah, blah. So they all came rushing over as soon as the bonnet was open, trying to help. One of them gave me a lift to a petrol station, and there was probably a queue of like 60 cars. Wow. So I wandered in, got a petrol can, which I don't know how there was any of them left. Yeah. And I had to walk onto the forecourt and go up to someone and <laughs> go, excuse me, can I just fill this up before you fill your car up? Because my car is genuinely broken. Yeah. And this lady who was a nurse was like, oh, absolutely, this is ridiculous, isn't it? I've got to go to work, and all these people are just stocking up. I was like, yeah, I'm just driving a classic car for no reason other than to drive a classic car. like, yeah, I'm on your side. And uh, so that that wasn't, there was a piece broke in the carb, mm. so it had a vacuum leak, which I didn't know. And the AA came, and the guy couldn't fix it, so he was like, we'll call for a flatbed. Mm. And then like an hour later, nothing had happened, so I called them. And they said, oh, we'll be with you by six o'clock in the morning. I was like
2: he fucking won't Six <laughs> it's
1: nine what o'clock time? at was night say, what time yeah. day? Jeez. Um, so i called luke and said what do i do what's the best way to sort this out he went just call him every 20 minutes mm. just be a problem be a problem yeah. and then they'll come and fix it we had a truck with us in within a half hour
0: brilliant advice yeah got flat all the way back home yeah had
1: a really uncomfortable sleep <laughs> yeah
0: not so great
1: but it, it's one of those where if i didn't have that friend or someone that knew kind of how the system works mm. I wouldn't have, I'd have been there till six in the morning because well, what's your choice? Yeah. If it weren't for me kind of going, no, that's not right and I don't mind a bit of an argument with someone if it needs be, then you you end up just kind of stuck, mm. basically. And being stuck in a 1985 Renault, I can do that on my own. I'm, I don't mind that. When I've got someone with me, it's not just my safety. It's yeah, not just it me. Then. I, don't, well. I don't mind taking a risk on my own behalf. I'll sleep in a car. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want my other half to sleep in the car.
0: You feel responsible, yeah. don't you? Like, it's... Well, I bought the damn thing without yeah. telling
1: her. Like, I'm like, we're in this mess because of me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh... yeah
0: no, it's, it's difficult. I mean, Dad and I, in preparation for this big trip um, the, that didn't... Like, the mission that was aborted um, is kind of how I refer to it. Um, We'd uh, bought these, like, all-in-one overalls, but they were thermal. Um, so a chap called uh, John Lomas from Blue Diamond Riley Services, he has done loads of rallies in his Rileys and stuff like that. And he actually recommended that we get them because he's done um, uh, Glasgow to Monte Carlo in February. So Jeez. like minus all the temperatures. in a Riley? Yeah, Bloody a pre-war hero. Riley as well. Like hardcore. What a really, hero. really cool. Such a hero. And so he gave us quite a lot of advice. He helped us prep the car. Um, and one of the bits of advice was to get these thermal overalls. And so we have those in the car permanently now so that if we do get stuck somewhere overnight you know, a dreadful situation that no one turns up with a low loader to help us as they should do if we need it. We've got these all-in-ones to sleep in and that September after the um, first lockdown... You know, we packed the car up after m twenty-five. Um, I think that was in June. We decided to go up to the Highlands and just see how far we could get.
1: <laughs> Let's and, keep going until yeah, it breaks. <laughs>
0: absolutely, and we managed to Can do. Can you
1: tell the AA that you've done that trip? We've broken down. Yeah. Oh no, what's happened? Well, we just what's thought we'd see the Highlands before? now. <laughs> so you
0: know, Dad patched it up, and off we went. And and we had that because we weren't sure about accommodation. So we, Dad and I tend to give ourselves a week, ten days, and we just go. And we have places in mind that we want to reach. But, you know, the joy of the road trip is that you might decide that you want to do 25 miles that day because you've seen somewhere you want to spend some time. And so I book the accommodation every day as we go along. Yeah. But also at that point, we didn't know if particularly in the Highlands on the West Coast after the pandemic, is anyone going to have any accommodation available? So we were very much prepared to sleep in the car in these overalls. Um, and I've gone on that weird tangent journey now where it's like, you know, but it's the idea of having someone on board that can fix that car. It is incredible, and I think you mentioned, you know, like, sort of necessarily having arguments with the person on the phone to come and help you. Like, having this MGA, it actually belonged to my mum's dad, um, but it lives with my dad because he's got a garage that it can can go in, and um, us working together on that car has involved a real change in our relationship because he's always worked on his own. He's always done the same thing. He knows how everything works. I've come into it as a creative, you know, journalist <laughs> yeah. and dinner, and I just want to a do the romance of rib- the road trip. And, <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. and him having to teach me how to do his trade has been really interesting because we've had to manage each other's tempers yeah. and temperaments. You know, he has to understand that I... I'm emotionally invested in this car, as is he to a degree, but that's when my connection was originally forged. And then it's the learning journey of the mechanics of it, the fixing of it, the capabilities it has, how it can be driven, how it should be driven, where it can be driven, where it can't be driven, things like that. And so we've really had to understand how each other works in both professional contexts, because I use the car for work, yep. um, so he has to understand that you know I you know I have things that I need to achieve with it, and I have to understand that if something goes wrong, we're at the side of the road. Now is not the time to ask questions, Charlotte. No, just let him do Dad's it. Dad's <laughs> just like shut up. Yeah, do as you're told pass this when I tell you to and that's that whereas my initial thing is to go what's going on what's happening yeah. what's this what's that why is it doing that you know and and like, I have this is to not switch the lesson
1: time yeah <laughs> and it's
0: not the time to get the story yeah. he's like I'll tell you after and so it's been a real bonding experience and you know we've argued like he still thinks he needs to tell me how to drive and it's like no you don't but that being said in november we took the car to the lake district and um we did hard Knot pass right in that situation i needed his instruction because we um i've done it from both approaches um like and i've never done it oh incredible it. so the, i did the the hardest one first which is from a little forge like fortress um up up there and it's like you know 35 percent inclines right dog legs hairpins you know the roads crack, like crumbling away, and because of the camber, you're on three wheels sometimes. And with Not the sure car, the runner
1: is making this trip. Uh,
0: well, do you know what? I I think you'd be surprised. Got
1: Forty horsepower.
0: Yeah, but uh, you, honestly, <laughs> we should James, do a trip. We James from do Practical Classics got his two CV up there. Right. Okay. Because um, they've got like eight horsepower. Yeah. they? Yeah. So you can do it. But I'd be absolutely up for a trip.
1: We should do like a trip. Like we will get some of the Practical Classics guys and the Haggity yep. guys and just. Do a little trip up there.
0: Yeah. And I think that would be really nice because I think when you're in convoy with other drivers, they get it. Whereas yeah. like the last bit of this, so it took eight minutes and eight seconds, I think, from bottom to the top. Uh, and there's a little video on my um, Instagram feed that I pinned to the top of the feed uh, of me bursting into tears once I'd done it yeah. because I didn't believe that I could do it and my dad had it? put the fear <laughs> I, well it was tempting because the car wasn't going that fast you know but my dad had said if if I'd have stopped we would have got stuck because the car hasn't got enough grunt to go from a standing start uh, like yeah, stop yeah. um to, to kind of carry on and so I was t- it took ages for me to get the courage to actually start I kept doing it and said I can't do it and I reversed try it again, reverse, try again, reverse. Honestly, it was backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards for ages. And then wow. he's like, you've got to do this. If yeah, you yeah. want to do it, you've got to get on with it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and honestly, the the tears at the end of it. And I just, but it was thanks to my dad's instruction, you know, because, he, you know, you just have to have confidence in yourself and just don't stop. And that is the hardest thing to do in an old car when you see something that you think it won't be able to do is not to, you know, stop.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're like, um, we've got to keep going.
0: Yeah, and when we just almost at the top, this, I don't know what it was, I wasn't really paying attention, but it was a BMW, modern car, and they were coming down. And I know that you're supposed to give way to cars that are coming down. I know that's a law, but you know when you just think, there was somewhere this car could have got out of the way. It's near the top. This is, you can see this is a classic car. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah. And they just kept going. <laughs> so I had to do this, like, come off the road slightly and keep going. Oh, it was... But my dad was like, mm, "Well done," you know. It was like, "Thanks." <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a good good road to do.
1: That um, oh, could be a fun little trip out. Yeah. Did does your dad aggressively fix things for you?
0: Uh, what do you mean? So
1: I, I've had it recently where, let's say I'm I'm working,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Grace is trying to solve her own problem. Mm-hmm. I think one of them she did some art and it was in this little gallery in town, and she needed a frame, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh, where's this? Where's that? Where's this? Where's?" that? And it got to the point where I was like, either fix it yourself or just ask me to fix it and I'll get round to it. And she she wouldn't do either. Like, she was trying to fix it herself but couldn't figure it out. And it got to the point where it was distracting me enough that I aggressively went to Hobbycraft. I was like, right, I'm just going to sort it. Just went, got, went to Hobbycraft, got the stuff, gave it to her and then got back home with my work. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I want to say thank you. Well, that was really aggressive. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be angry with you for distracting me because that's not fair but I also don't want to be distracted and I also want this to be fixed for you because then you'll leave me alone and I can get on with my work. And it's this weird little like, like when you were saying when you have a breakdown and he's like, don't ask, just hand me the thing. It's this little zone of, Mm -hmm. right, this problem needs fixing and I'm now annoyed that I have to do it and I want to do it because I care about you, but I also don't want to do it because I don't want to have to do more work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you have that moments with him where he's like, I'm just going to aggressively fix this problem so that it's no longer in my head."
0: Yeah, absolutely. He has very little patience. Right. Yeah. I'm not doing him a disservice. Like He is very patient, but at the same time, in those moments of crisis, there is no patience. Yeah. And also, you know, he doesn't understand that I don't know what these tools are called. When he says, uh, what's it, what's he's like, it? like, give me a, it,
1: a like, 1.8. And you're like... I'm oh, like, I what know that. is that? Yeah.
0: You know, it's like, there are other other meanings for those kind of things. Like, I don't know what you mean. Um, now is not the time for that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, so we do, and that's where we kind of um, clash is that it's like, I don't know what that is. Like, I say to him, if I put you in front of a computer, ask you to interview someone or send you out for the day on a story and you had to get this information and, you know, and do my job, you would struggle. So, you know, try and see it like that yeah you know, is that if I put you in my shoes you'd struggle with my job that's what I'm struggling with here but I really want to learn um but I think one of the I think <laughs> I love this one so we were changing the driver's side headlight but it was really rusty so he had to get in there um with some heat like kind of, um, a flame gun thing. So you kind of even think, well, that's cool off the top of my head. When you say um, a flame
1: gun, I'm thinking of the little blowtorch for a brulee. Like, yeah, like, not yeah, a, proper but, well, yeah, a proper one.
0: <laughs> um, not, a, not a pastry chef's apparatus. Yeah. This is a mechanics <laughs> version. Um, and so, obviously, the wheel's off, the car's up, um, and he says to me, right, when I hand you this gun, I'm going to say, take! And you've got to take it, because he's basically trying to melt yeah, it, yeah. so he, it'll pop out. And he's like, we've got no time, da-da-da. And so... He's really having a go at me, like, if you don't... I say take, you take the gun, you take the gun. When I say take, no hesitation. I'm like, all right, Dad, all right, you know, duh, 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 duh. fine, fine, fine. And so he's in inside, the you know, the wheel arch and he's... In a confined really space anything. with flames, yeah. Yeah, um, and he goes, take! And I put my hand out to take and I take. But in the process where he's do- tried to do it really quickly, the flame has gone across the wheel arch of the car <sighs> and burnt the red... Paint and I've taken the gun, and then he's noticed that he's burnt the car, oh. and he gets up and he's so angry with himself. And he was, you know, uh, uh, mate. Like, was he
1: quiet angry? Did he just? Mm.
0: Yeah, and I just said to him, I was like, "Doesn't matter, doesn't matter, Dad. These things happen." And, like,
1: and then he's like, "That's not the point."
0: He was so angry, and I—he was like internal rage. And he's like, I've burnt the car!" I said, like, "Yeah, but these things happen." Inside, I'm like, ha, it was you. Yeah. It was you that did it. And it wasn't me that messed up this
1: time. Spent all that time shouting at me. Yeah. I didn't even get it right. And it was
0: you that burnt the car. <laughs> but I said, like, obviously, you know, the flames are not on anymore. It's all safe. And I just said to him, look, let's have a hug. And he's like, Hugs? This yeah. is not how I deal with this. This is, a... and I was like, come on, dad, let's hug this out. Let's hug this out. You know, and it was just this real moment where he's worked in a very, like, you know, I'm going to say aggressively masculine environment for his entire life. Yeah, yeah. And then to have a girl come in and go, let's hug this out. It'll be okay. Yeah. It's we'll go get fine. a latte. <laughs> yeah. And it was a really good moment because I was like, look, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And so. You know, for him to understand that, you know, disasters happen, mistakes happen, and I wasn't angry at him. Yeah. Because I know for a fact that he didn't do that because he's not being good at his job. He just—it was just a flick of the wrist that went wrong, you know. In his head, um, he's
1: thinking of all the things that now need fixing because of that mistake, yeah. and that's what he's angry at. Is like I've caused so much extra work for yeah. myself, and now I'm annoyed because I could have avoided this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. But it's been—I think it's a really good example, actually, of you know the, the relationship that my dad and I have with the car is that you know, a kind of overall thing for the scene as well, is that, you know, new generation and the older generation, we can work together. Yeah, It can be difficult because of different, you know, ways that we've been brought up, different perspectives, different temperaments, different opinions on what we should do with these cars and stuff like that. You know, there there are a lot of points of conflict and clash, but ultimately we all want these cars to keep going. We all want to see them on the road in the future. And so... It just takes a really delicate process of working together. And I find, you know, from people that I speak to and my own personal experience of car clubs, is that it is this conflict that I'm seeing between the old gen and the new gen yeah. that's making the car clubs implode and, you know, the membership go down is because they're not, the generations aren't working together and the younger generation aren't necessarily trying to understand and appreciate why. The older generation are the way they are in terms of the way that they approach things. And the older generation, is it feeling threatened? Is it this is the way we've always done it, therefore we will always do it this way? You know, it's, it's, it's really difficult that navigating the future when you've got a wealth of knowledge and experience and a generation that have a totally different perspective on life. And that comes down to social media, the way we use our cars. It's much more... In the moment, to a degree, it's much more experiential. I want the photo of the car, I want the burger and the coffee, and I want to zip in and then zip out. Older generation will go on a three-day you know adventure and we'll stay in a lovely hotel and it'll be a you know tinsel and tiara tea time and all this kind of thing and it's like that's not how we engage with our cars now necessarily you know because it's time it's money you know we want to meet up at a cool diner on the a1 have some pictures have a burger have a chat take some photos in and out done and then but they can't necessarily appreciate that I i
1: think there's there's probably an inherent there's a midpoint to it all And I think both have their pros and their cons Mm. in quite substantial ways. Like, I love going for a drive, Mm -hmm. but at the minute, I'm only really driving because I need to be somewhere. Mm. And then every so often, I'll be on a drive to somewhere, and I'll be like, I'm actually really enjoying this. Because the car for five minutes isn't, like, playing up. and (laughs) Both of the cars... I have a 2014 Toyota sports car that I've very lightly tinkered with. And I still end up like, no, nah, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Even though everything is mechanically sound, I'm like, no, nah, something's wrong. And then it gets in my head and then I feel things that I probably am not really feeling. Mm-hmm. But every so often, like, it's it's all just right. I'm like, oh, I really, I really should just go for a drive more often. And then you get up and get ready to go and do that. You're like, oh, it's going to cost me this much in fuel. Mm-hmm. And then it's this many miles for my insurance policy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, I'll just stay at home, or I'll crack out fours or something.
2: Mm.
1: And then the flip side of that is, I use my car a lot for what I do. Like, I've had a prototype T-shirt arrive today, and the weather's looking a little bit peachier, so I might go for a drive to go and get some photos with the T-shirt and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which leans into the like, oh, it's very photogenic, and my cars have got branding on them because of the photo. I got, I pulled into the chippy for lunch today. And as I was pulling out, there was a 12 year old kid filming the car as I cool. went past, which made me feel very proud. I was like, oh, did I indicate when I pulled out of like, <laughs> It's in my head, like, oh, I'm sure I indicated that it's going to pop up on the internet somewhere. And it's going yeah. to get seen by like, three people. And the first comment, oh, don't indicate. But you have this, like, I, I like my cars for their personalities and their character and the way that they drive. And at the same time, I need them to be able to function mm-hmm. and perform a purpose, like, The Renault is the least reliable car I've ever owned. Mm -hmm. So I then don't trust it when I need it. Mm. And I'm working on getting it out of that place because I like driving it. And I like just tootling around in it. And it makes me so happy when it works. Mm. And then there's always like, what's going to break this stuff? What am I going to have to now fix? What energy am I going to have to expend? And for the older guys, they're quite happy to do that. They enjoy that process. I think a lot of us younger people just don't have the time
0: it's it is time I really think it's a massive thing yeah and it's you know there's I think there's so much more for us to do I think you know we busy ourselves um with stuff and one of the sort of um I write for a country living magazine um it's a bit of a a sort of a a nice distraction yeah from the the cars it's really nice and and with that, though writing those stories because it is, you know, generally in a rural setting, it's, it's a lot of it is about sustainability and things like that. The nature of those features is that it is about a slower pace of life, and I really enjoy writing those stories because I really get into it. Like all the stories I do, I really get into it. I really research and, I, you know, things like that. But I have to have time, yeah. and that is one of the hardest things to find. When your job, you know, as a journalist, I've got to be out there getting the stories, I've got to be interviewing people, I've got all sorts of things that I have to do to get it in the first place. But then actually having the time and making the time to sit there and focus and write for three or four days in a row is really difficult because there's so much other stuff that you could be doing, should be doing. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves by that thing, I should be doing this, I should be there. And I find the summer, in some ways, it's quite a stressful time because you see everyone doing stuff in their cars at different shows and things like this, and you're like, I should be there. I'm not going to enough shows. Oh, oh. and it's and, yeah. and there's a lot of pressure in in what you see other people doing and and what you should be doing with your time. And it's like, no, 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 slow down, take a step back. You know, give yourself some time um, and and to work on your car. Like if I if I'm going to do a trip with my dad, like I say, we don't pressure ourselves in terms of the destination now after you know after the pandemic it's like let's aim for these places and give ourselves a set amount of days and see where it goes and just really really slow down and enjoy that journey because you know what we might get 10 miles down the road the car might blow up and that's it but I think with social media with everything now you know things like on demand you know tv and things like that it, 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 your patience is like I want it now. I want it now. I want yeah. it now. And so it's really hard, actually, for us as a generation to, to slow down. Whereas that generation, you know, or generations that are older than us, they you know didn't what it was actually like bored.
1: That. Yeah. Like, I remember as a kid when someone was like, "Right, well, we're we'll around at one o'clock," and he mm-hmm. sat at the window at one yeah. o'clock. Like, where are they? Like, yeah, they said yeah, they be yeah. here at one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been sat here for an hour. Yeah. I don't know how that hour has passed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you look back, you go, "How did we sit around and do nothing?" Yeah. How did I spend an afternoon just not doing anything?
0: But I think we did things like read a lot more. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I find actually reading a magazine is, a, is quite an experience to cherish now because you dip in, dip in and out, dipping in and out, because you're like, oh, I need to do this. And blah, blah, blah. and so, you, you know, actually reading a magazine from front to back page is such a nice experience. But actually, ridiculously... Trying to find the time to do that. It becomes something on your to-do list and then it defeats the object. And you object. feel guilty
1: for not doing it. Yeah. Like, this ties back into my alarm clock thing earlier. I was, and this happens sporadically, get up with the alarm clock, go and read and have a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So I've got Road Rat and Magneto and things like that. Just sit and read an article for a half an hour. Make it part of your day. So mm-hmm. I, I get up at six o'clock. I don't need to leave the house till eight. I get up at six to make that part of my day mm. because it is so like worthwhile and it's so valuable and it's so rewarding and it's such a nice flow to the morning mm. and I inherently just I end up with my phone in my hand yeah and I'll snooze the alarm till like half six because I'm like I don't really need to get up and I get my <laughs> phone out as soon as I'm up and it's just like we have to really consciously put effort into the way that we live yeah otherwise we end up in these little traps of just constantly what's next, what's next, what's next, mm-hmm. and not actually taking in what's around. And it breeds this kind of feeling of almost like pointlessness because mm-hmm. you're not actually living. You're just kind of chasing the next thing. Yep. And then you kind of go, well, what's the point in all of this? And then you sit and have an existential crisis. Oh, yeah.
0: It goes down and down and down, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And then all of a
1: sudden you're like, well, I'm just not going to get out of bed because yeah. there's no point. Um, and I think it's really important to do what you're saying and like, take the time to appreciate, the journey, appreciate the story, appreciate mm. what's happening and be part of that moment and be present in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like Even with the engagement stuff, I almost missed all of the Northern Lights because I was so focused on, I've got to get the camera right, I've got to get all this right, mm-hmm. that I missed this unique, like, special moment mm. because of all this extra stuff. I've got to do this, You've this, given this, this, yourself
0: this, yeah. these things to do, yeah. yeah.
1: Whereas I could have done all of that without the camera and without the phone and without any of it and mm. just being there and present in that moment. And it, there's a bit of a balancing act to it, but it is really important to just live, be part mm-hmm. of life, because it changes too quickly. Yeah. It's over far quicker than you expect. Yeah. And this is a someone who is about to turn 30 having this, like, oh, God, what does life mean, kind of, <laughs> <way>. <laughs> like, I remember when I was a kid, what's happening? <laughs> Do
0: you know, I I have this thing, so, I, my, like, my thing in life is that I want to see and feel the world. I want to love and I want to be someone, someone. Those are the things that I want out of my life. And I've spent a lot of time, I'm very lucky that I spent a lot of time with all my grandparents. And my last grandfather um, to pass away was the last of the four grandparents to go. And he's the one that owned the MGA. And I got to know him. I had that privilege of getting to know him as an adult. And I got to know that he was a, a young man and you know, I learned a lot from being around all of them and I was present when they all passed away in that last breath moment. And fundamentally, I'm not saying I know the meaning of life or anything like that, but I do think there is a lot to be said for getting offline and, you know, because as someone that writes, I find the digital world quite stressful because I post things on social media and I'm like, if someone turns off the internet tomorrow... There's no record of my life. Yeah. It's online. And so I make a point of still writing um, in journals. You did
1: this when, when you interviewed me for the um, Mike Brewers site. You yeah. were writing it all down. I was yeah. like, this is so inefficient. I was like, you could just record this and then send it to a dicta phone and then that will automatically write it all for you. And I was sat there and then obviously it's because you're part of the process. You, yeah. Because I've tried it before because I do a tiny little bit of writing. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a monthly thing for carl witter about men's mental health and i've written a piece for like rush magazine and just was was it rush was it redline no it was rush sorry um and i get into the oh, this adhd thing is terrible for all of this because i go i'm gonna sit down and write and then i'll write it all mm-hmm. on my laptop and i won't look at it again and i'll just send it and go i hope this is usable because i'm not going to be able to focus to read this twice but when I start I was like, I'm going to write this in my, I'm going to physically write this and then I'll transpose that onto my laptop. Mm. And the first time I got like a paragraph in, I was like, I'm just going to type this. I cannot be asked because my brain won't focus enough to do this twice. Mm-hmm. So to do it with a journal and then type up from what you've written, do you find that's like a process that you enjoy going through?
0: Yeah, sometimes. So I do record my interviews as well um, because legally it's good to have that um, recorded record as well and I let people know that that's what I'm doing um but I like the permanence of you know words I've got notebooks of like notes of things when I'm out on stories you know my to-do lists endless to-do lists I write myself um but I still you know like going through the sort of cute sort of dealing with the houses that my grandparents left behind and going through their stuff is that the things that I've tended to keep is letters photos documentation that shows the richness of their lives and so i write journals yeah um so when i'm doing stories i write my notes and things like that but i also write journals and i'm on my seventh journal now that is um affiliated with my mga so when my grandad passed away i got a moleskin very fancy in in red to match the car and it's adventures of frisky one and so now I'm on Adventures with Frisky, seven, because Frisky's the name of the car. Are they all the same colour? All the same colour, all Perfect. the same type of notebook, um, no lines in them, so I can draw pictures, I can stick stuff in there, um, and I every single entry is a letter to my late grandfather. And so I'm telling him, as if he's still here, and if he's gonna read it, what I've done with the car, you know, or who I've interviewed. I don't write every day, I don't put that pressure on myself because. I think, you know, we've spoken about this before is that when you set yourself up and you say, you know, I must do this or I've got to stop smoking or I've got to do this, you're setting yourself up for failure because sometimes that is too much yeah. to do in one go and so I feel like if I said to myself I have to write every day in a journal and I don't then I'll feel rubbish because I haven't and then
1: the first day that you don't you go well this What's whole the project's point? done yeah and um, so
0: I don't write to him every day I write to him sometimes I make a point of sitting down and clearing my desk and writing to him. Mm. Um, and then sometimes it would just be like, oh, I've done this today. Or, you know, I'll go home today and say, had this amazing chat. And da-da-da. And...
1: and then I had to do that shitty podcast. And then I had another great chat. <laughs> no, this was the amazing
0: chat, you know. And it's like, and we talked about these things. And, and I ask him questions. I know I'm not going to get an answer. Yeah. But I still ask him questions. And I often ask him, like, I'm like, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Who <laughs> are you chilling
1: with today? <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Is it your old REF friends or, yeah. you know, things like that. And so...
1: I uh, I bought a diary. With the intent of like just keeping a track of what I did each day, mm-hmm. and it was stuff like I left like a bullet pointed list of I did this, 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 and this. I think I got to like the middle of February, missed the day, and I was like, ah, that's out of yeah. the window it's now. It's a lot, it is yeah. a lot
0: because not every day your brain doesn't act in the same way every day.
1: No, mine doesn't act every, in the same hour, like mm-hmm. it changes so sporadically. And again, this is why I'm I started this journey of like ADHD potential because it seems to align the most with like. The things that I see and experience and feel Mm. and because Grace is a psychologist and diagnoses people with ADHD for a living, she's Mm. like I think you're showing some of the signs, we've got this weird thing at the minute because her sister is also going down this diagnosis route but me and her sister are very very different like real opposite ends of the scale in our personalities but it's the same like traits just coming out in two different ways Mm -hmm. so Grace is like I can't believe this all this time the two people that she's close to, she's like both of you what the what are the chances <laughs> like well clearly you're attracting <laughs> yeah, um, you're a magnet <laughs> yeah but it's that like especially for me i have an inability to stick to a like a structured plan mm-hmm. i can do it while i'm oh this is new and interesting and then as soon as that wears off i can't do it at all mm. and it's a, it's one of the challenges i have with like working life is if i'm expected to do like the same spreadsheet every day after about three days on board of it and I want to do something else unless it's something that I can change and make better mm-hmm. but then the inherent thing is I've made this as good as it's going to get and now I've made this automatic so I don't have to do it at all mm-hmm. I've just made myself a redundant entity like I struggle to find the best way for my brain to engage with like a normal working life mm-hmm. and even though I now work in a more creative role I still find it difficult because it's like you're expected to post on social media every day and write this every day and do this. And I'm like, I really struggle with that. So I, yeah. fortunately with social media, you can plan ahead. So I can, on the day where I've got the energy, I can go, right, the next three weeks are all planned because mm-hmm. then I don't have to think about that every day. And it's it's weird how we end up putting these pressures in different places and how we don't accommodate for the different ways people work. And it's mm-hmm. all like, you should be doing this every day, and it's like I don't care whether you want to no. do it or not. You're doing this every day, and it's like it's not how my brain works. No, um,
0: I, I, I don't. I just don't necessarily think it's it's healthy. It's like listen to your body, listen to your mind. You know, it's like with exercise and things like that. People say oh, you should do ten thousand steps every day. Well, okay, I'm not saying that's not a good thing, but actually, some days you just don't feel like it, and yeah. so take the pressure off. Don't make yourself feel bad for it because your body's telling you something. Yeah, okay, yeah. sometimes you need to kick up the butt, you know, and to do it. But yeah, and for a lot of people, like, having something like that works.
1: Like, again, Grace is a good example for this. Having that little, like, counter really helps with her motivation to, mm-hmm. like, keep exercising. Like, we'll have days where she's got, like, 9,700 and she'll just walk around the house. She'll just <laughs> be oh, laps around the oh, house, yeah, yeah. Just so she hits that little thing, and goes bing, and then she gets that little like, yeah, you hit a target. Yeah. It's the same with um, oh, what's it called? Time hop.
2: Mm-hmm. She's
1: on like a thousand day streak. Wow. She's like three years. She's like I'm on a thousand days. I like, I gave up after like six days. I was like, I'm bored of this already. Yeah. And it's weird how the different dynamics of how people work have these different ways of of working well for them. Like having this. Streaks and rewards and goals mm-hmm. works really well for some, and for people like me, just de- demotivates me because yeah, as soon as I don't hit one, I'm a hundred percent negatively affected. Rather than oh, I must try hard I'm like I just don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I'm going to find something that I can do quickly and easily. And it's it's like with your journey when you say I don't put the pressure on me to write every day, it it works really well for you because that's how you work. Your brain doesn't work well in a you have to do this every day. Mm. Otherwise if you don't you just don't want to do it at all.
0: Yeah, and I write since leaving newspapers, I have written more articles and produced more sort of interviews and things like that than I probably did in the last five years as an editor of the paper because when you're an editor, you're editing, you're commissioning, you're doing all that stuff that comes with that. Um, so I was a digital editor.
1: You're detached from the process, yeah. Right?
0: And now it's like, you know, I don't I don't find the writing process easy every time um and different stories you know have different approaches and things like that but i write so much more so writing my journal if i've been writing all day the last thing i want to do is write, write anymore because yeah. my eyes get tired too you know there's that there's that side of it as well it's not always like a you know it's not always my brain it's actually my eyes are just like i just need some away from the screen yeah, time yeah. and then i'll go and see in front of the tv for four hours you know <laughs> the, um, the, the counterintuitive house, yeah. yeah
1: so I, I feel like so we we smash through the hour mark and This has been a very lovely chat on lots of different tangents, which Mm. I love. I really enjoy that. However, I am conscious that this is going out to people and people may be interested to know a bit more about you and what you do and how that works. So I'm going to try and steer us back towards like the stuff that you do and how that life has kind of grown and developed and how you go through the processes that you go through a because other people want to hear it and B. Because I'm one of those that goes, I reckon I could do that. And then I talk to someone who actually does it. I'm like, no, I don't think I could do that without a lot of work. And mm-hmm. it, it's very easy to go, yeah, you just go around the country talking to people and writing it down. Mm-hmm. But it's not. No. And I'm very much of the, like, I have a surface level knowledge of things. And I'll sit there and I go, yeah, I do some writing. And that means I just sit and write whatever I fancy. Mm-hmm. And then I claim that I'm a, I do bits of writing. So talk me through the process of the work that you do and how you kind of go from start to finish on a project.
0: So, as I mentioned before, I was in uh, national newspapers for 15 years, so that's kind of how I earned, what well, is is how I earned my stripes. As a journalist, I, earn, I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, I made the journey from being a news reporter to uh, I worked in the digital side of things, and I was there when social media came along. I was there when smartphones came in, tablets, things like that. I worked on the launch of uh, the first national newspapers tablet edition, which was the Sunday Times. I did a lot of unsociable shifts, um, I I worked really hard for a really long time uh, and sort of honed the journalistic side of things, so I always had the kind of creative writing side of things and that's what I studied at university, very quickly realised it wasn't going to get me a job um so I sent an email to some uh email addresses in newspapers got some work experience and um to sort of cut a long story short I had a really tough time getting any paid work when I graduated I had spent another year working for free and had a really tough time at a magazine but through the network of people uh, that I'd met whilst doing all my work experience for four years, um, one lady at the Sunday Times heard I'd had a really tough time. She called me and she said, do you want a shift? And I said, yes, please. And so that's how that decade at the Sunday Times started. I went and did a shift and I showed them that I could, you know, do what I was required to do. And I've never interviewed, apart from the one that I mentioned earlier that I had last summer, which is a different kind of job to what I normally do. But I've never actually interviewed for a job. I've never shown anyone a CV. So nobody knows that I've got a degree, nobody knows that I've got a qualification called an NCTJ in journalism, which covers public affairs, law, shorthand, which I've never used, (laughs) um, and news writing. So that
1: interview you did with me took ages, because you had to write every bloody word. Yeah, every (laughs) single one.
0: Um, So I've got the traditional background in the sense of I have a degree, I've got all of that stuff, but actually... I made my journey through going in and just throwing myself in at the deep end and seeing if I could swim. And luckily I did, and it took a lot of hard work. Um, but then in 2019, I got made redundant. And so that was when the Times and Sunday Times merged right. as, into one title. Because historically they're two, um, and they got permission from the government um, to actually be one team rather than two two separate ones. And so September the 4th, 2019 was my late grandmother's birthday. And that's the day I found out that I was...
2: A all time days. I
0: know. Um, that, was, that was kind of the end of it. And there were about over 200 of us on that day that found out we'd lost our jobs. And for me, as someone whose whole career was in newspapers, that's how I defined myself. I had missed out on a lot of stuff um, because, you know, I couldn't go to parties. I did night shifts, weekends... All of that stuff, you know, which loads of us do. We, you know, we everyone, all types of jobs, shift work, unsociable bank holidays, things like that. Um, and I, my last day was the first uh, of December, I think it was, or second of December, two thousand nineteen, and there was a terror attack at our offices. And I was in the pub at the time. You're like, oh, that's <laughs> so, a leaving gift, isn't it? Yeah, so there was a whole perimeter around the building. So I went out on my last day for a, a few drinks with a couple of colleagues um, on my I last day. And never shift. got to go back? I never got to go back. Um, did so, you leave like a
1: mug? And you're like, oh, well, I really so wanted that mug back. <laughs> I didn't
0: get to say goodbye to anyone. I had to go back the next day to basically log out and stuff. But I had to go really early in the morning. So I didn't get to say goodbye. Um, and then I did have some leaving drinks. But then obviously COVID happened. And it's the first time in my life that i would say i describe it as a brain fart because i didn't know what to do i had no job i you know these kind of jobs define who you are yeah it it was all consuming and it was you know gramps said i could do it and i was doing it and so much of my self-worth was in that job and also i think after so long i'd become very institutionalized you know, you become used to things that you shouldn't become used to in terms of way you're treated. Um, don't get me wrong, I had an amazing time. But, you know, like all jobs, there are things that you look back on and think that wasn't acceptable. Yeah. Um, but then I was on my own. And I wasn't on my own in the redundancy because so many other people, everyone in the end, um, it's just yeah. stages. But I really struggled and I... Um, just I'd wake up and cry and I, it wouldn't stop and I was like I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself but I had this trip everything it was ongoing weird. to Everest yeah. uh, and then when that didn't happen um, it was another knock for you know in a selfish mental health way you know in the context of the pandemic when people were losing their lives and key workers and frontline workers were you know they were real, really having a struggle I'm sitting there feeling really sorry for myself like oh woe is me i've lost my fancy job and i've now met my fancy trip but actually it was again it's that relative, car. Though, yeah it? it is relative it's always for sure. relative.
1: like yes you could be very mean to yourself in that comment that you just said in that if if you were a third party go, oh boohoo you no longer work for this big company and you don't get to go to the, this amazing trip but relatively speaking you'd lost the thing that was the core of a who i big am part of your personality yeah. And the thing that was keeping you moving forward and focusing on had been taken away from you. It doesn't matter whether that is, in relative terms, a very big fancy job and a very nice trip. Or if it's like your lifeline Mm. has been taken away. Relative to you, that's comparatively the same thing. Mm. Like Your whole career and this thing that was keeping you motivated has just been ripped out from underneath you. It doesn't matter what that is. Mm. It, to you, that's a, a huge thing. Mm. And it must have been such a struggle.
0: It was very, very difficult. Um, but I kind of, you know, it, it was March, April 2020 and the weather was nice. And I was at home. I was lucky that I was still living with my dad at the time.
1: You had the luckiest weather for oh, that year Oh, amazing.
0: Well, um, and because I'd, I'd rented in London for a long time and it got too expensive. So by this point, I was back at my dad's. And I sat there and I was like, I've got this car. I've got this car in that garage and that is a privilege because you know not in terms of not only the monetary value I'd not be able to afford to buy one myself now but obviously it was my granddad's and I was like I've got to do something with this because I can and I should and so I'd already written an article about inheriting the car and that experience I'd written that for the Sunday Times um, and I just thought, right, I've got, I've got to do something useful. So I volunteered with the car through the pandemic, did some shopping with it, took it to the, um, a, like a, ca- a care in the community center, um, sort of helped them sort out the food. And so I used the car for something useful. Um, and I just started writing about my experiences with it. And I use social media a lot, um, to find people to interview and sort of just make contacts, the Revs Limiter group. That um, was huge. For so many amazing. people, I myself it's, included, it, it was a it, great group. Uh, like that was a huge place for me to find people um, to become friends with, and also you know to write stories about. So I've you know I'm really grateful for the involvement. I think that's where you that.
1: came across my radar first. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I only entered the the car world in 2019. Oh really? It's not. Oh, something that Oh, we're newbies together. Yeah, yeah. yeah I have <laughs> I started doing this again. The lockdown was a bit of a blessing mm-hmm. for me in terms of space. Yeah. So I started. I think it's like November 2019 mm. was when this kind of got going, and it was a. Uh, I, I used to work for UPS as an account manager, and a couple of mates of mine. We were like, "Should we do something cary? Because we're into our car. I've had the Toyota since to 2016. Should we do something car related? Um, and a customer of mine had a. A sublimation printer mm-hmm. so they could do t-shirts and then I kind of had the time and the energy because of my work dynamic to kind of try and then my friends were, one of them was doing his degree one of them's doing his sort of chartered accountancy they just didn't have the time so I said can I just go with it mm. and that's how it started it was just me seeing how it worked and trying to learn and over the last few years I've learned a lot and I've grown in different ways like all the design stuff so in my office all the artworks Apart from the Helen Stanley one and the Radwood one and this one, um, I've created them all. So that 787B one down there, mm. I created that. Sorry, I was expecting a message from a friend passing by. It's just dawned on me that he said it was about this time that he should be on his way. I don't want to have missed him. Right, okay. Um, so I've had to learn all this. My mm-hmm. background isn't design or art or clothing or fashion or any of it, nothing. I did an accountancy qualification out of college. So I can do a mega spreadsheet.
0: You can do my accounts. I, <laughs> I need to do my own.
1: Um, but that's the thing. Like It's it's this learning journey. And stuff like revs and Instagram and Twitter and all of that's come together to be a, a big community, basically. Mm. Like with Twitter. So we did Haggerty's Drive-It Day in the Renault with all the stickers on the side and a cyclist in the middle of the countryside where I'd never been before in my life pulled up next to us at a junction, turned to his mate and went, this is that Twitter thing, isn't it? And I was like, I've been recognised not yeah. for who I am but for the stickers on the car and what that stands for. Like, yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about, I know a horrible shitty time and the redundancy and all of that, but the flip side of it is it, it forced you into this new new world new yeah, yeah. New like grace has gone on a similar thing with a classic car journey in that she's never really been a car person mm-hmm. and since we got the renault and since we've gone to like the festival in the exceptional and radwood and some of these the things that we get to do as part of what i do she's really learned to like love some of the the quirky sides and the, the classic stuff and mm. now it's at the point where we'll go anywhere and she'll be car spotting
2: yeah, that's oh, cool. there's a
1: McLaren or a Porsche, and we we have this game as to who can spot the Porsche fastest, it, which is a silly little game because Porsches are bloody everywhere. But it's quite a nice it's little something
0: to do, isn't it? Yeah,
1: and that started on the back of a different adventure. Like we mm. were going somewhere, and there was a Porsche event the other way, so we were just seeing loads of Porsches. So then it just became the thing, and it's it's the fun part of the car world and the journey and the adventure, and you get such a unique experience within this community. Mm because there isn't really another community of enthusiasts that do stuff like that. I get bikers are probably close. Mm. I think the car world stands in its own space. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's it derives from transport. It's not yeah. like it's a it's not a sport thing. The sports have come from the transport. Yeah, There's no it's, like team. It's yeah.
0: it's everyone's cars.
1: Like the closest you get is Formula 1 and that is that's a different world to car enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. That's a sports fan thing that happens to be cars, and they're not really cars. It's not like you could see something that looks like a Formula 1 car on the road. It's such an interesting world to have come across into, and I imagine that journey for you from writing for The Times to now doing all of the motor-focused stuff that you do has been a real interesting shift for you. Massively,
0: yeah. I mean, not only, you know, I worked for you know a publication before, I'm now working for myself, and that is superb I can say yes to things I can say no to things I can explore opportunities that I was never able to explore before and I had huge preconceptions about the car scene you know specifically classic car scene I thought it was all rich tweed wearing people that you know did concours and all that kind of thing and it's absolutely not and no, I've been like
1: me and my 500 quid <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you're one
0: of them and it, I've been utterly surprised by the diversity that I have encountered personally within the scene, the way that people use their cars, the people that use, you know, drive these cars, the types of cars. It's been really, really refreshing. But I also think there's an awful lot that needs to change. Um, You know, there are still biases that I've come across as a female, you know, um, and what I don't want to be is a token female. I have earned my right to be here I earned my right to be a columnist in Practical Classics magazine okay I am not hugely spanners on I'm honest about that and that is okay and I write about what that's like and that's why I'm in Practical Classics magazine I am the first female columnist they've ever had and I'm different and that's why that's good and I think we need more of that showcased in in this world is to show that you know you can be different and that can be accepted should be accepted is accepted you know and you know i i speak to all kinds of people um and it's a real privilege because i think that everybody's got a story and i really like sort of that process of showing somebody that they have got a story to tell because you know i interview people and then i edit that into a sto- you know a story for someone else to read And often people are, oh, that's, oh, I didn't realise that, you know, I can sound like that. And it's like, yeah, I get in touch with you because your car's cool,
1: but But it's not the the car's
0: cool because you've bought it. You're cool and you're doing something cool with it. And, you know, there's also the side of it, like the heritage skills that are involved. I found this woman in Amsterdam that makes jewellery and miniature versions of cars. And that stems from her passion for the for Citrons. Her day job is valuing um, vintage and old jewellery and her night job, literally, she goes up into the attic of this canal house where she lives. The landlord doesn't know she does it and it's like, you know, amidst all these shelves and dusty boxes and things like that, she's got this old uh, jewellers desk set up which is a multi-layered arrangement for all the bits and pieces you need and by lamplight and she's got a skylight in there, she makes silver and gold miniature cars and earrings and rings. And it's like, that's all because of citrons. Yeah, and so yeah. I've come into this scene and I've just, with the huge curiosity, which also feeds the anxiety, yeah. um, is this like, what can I find? What's different? And I love, you know, I love drawing those stories out that haven't been told before. You know, um, it's, it's fascinating. And I've made real friends that I... Absolutely cherish and I value so much. um And it's all because my granddad made this purchase what, 33 years ago, buying this MG. And he was very much that cliched middle aged white man with yeah, a bit yeah. of pocket money. And he joined the MG Car Club and off he'd tootle with his best pals at the weekend. And your dad's
1: really pissed because he's like, I've been a car guy my whole life and you only just liked car. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly that. And, and now I'm kind of, I'm not saying I'm a disruptor or anything like that, but I've come into this scene as someone who's in that minority as a female. And I'm saying, it's okay not to know all this stuff. You enjoy your car how you want to enjoy it. Be proud of that and, and go for it, you know? And it's not always easy. I still feel intimidated when I go to events and that's not because of necessarily the environment that I'm going into it's because of what I feel like it's going to be it's my preconceptions and so I've had to learn to you know readjust the way I think um because I we all do it we all make these preconceived we have these preconceived ideas we make judgments and I think one of the things that's quite nice for me is that I don't know who the kind of famous people aren't necessarily yeah, yeah. so I go along I'm like hello you know <laughs> and, and going into an environment and saying hello when you know nobody yeah is something that I've had to learn over the years as a journalist um and now learning as you know as someone who's got a car and wants to be part of that crew um but I'm like are they gonna judge me or you know it's really so... tough like
1: I, I have a, a similar like I'm not from the car world mm. I didn't grow up going to things and being around events and stuff like that. Like my dad likes his cars. We used to do Le Mans, which mm-hmm. is why I want to go back this so year as an cool. adult. And stuff like that. Yeah. And my granddad was a car guy. But again, it was, he used to like buying cars, fixing cars, driving cars. It mm-hmm. wasn't, I'm a car guy because I like the, the community side of it. So growing up, we didn't have the, oh, we're going to a car meet or we're going to a car event or a show or the racing or anything like that. It was dad likes his cars. We'll go for a drive every so often, and a few of his mates like cars as well. Mm-hmm. So to come into it as an adult and not know anyone, and not know who's who, and not know who has written what, and who's been on what, and who's here, there, and everywhere, it's quite interesting. Like, even, let's go. The scramble is a really great example for this, because everybody who's everybody is there, but not everybody knows who everybody is. <laughs>
0: yeah, no idea. So like, <laughs> you can
1: go. I was stood at one bit, and I stood chatting away. And there was a singer, like the car and the Porsche, filthy. I was like, I've got a lot of respect for whoever the owner of this car is because it's a half million pound car and it's ditched. Hats off to him. And we're still chatting and then JK from Jamiroquai was there.
0: No way. And he
1: happened to know the person I was with really well. Like, they were a bit of a thing in the 90s. Okay. So he walks up to the, the lady that I was stood with and they have a hug and a chat and they're catching up. And then all his friends are stood with us and we're all chatting away. And I was kind of having one of those... This is a surreal moment because yeah. that's that's JK from Jamirocai. And he <laughs> just looks like a middle aged bloke. Like yeah, it's just yeah, a, sure. it's got a big beanie hat on and a big coat, and if you didn't know who it was, it's just a bloke.
2: It's just a bloke, yeah.
1: And then his mate went and unlocked the the singer. He's like, Oh, I just need to get my glasses out. So I said, Oh, can I have a sit inside? I'm not sat in one of these. He's like, Yeah, sure. So we're chatting away and we're talking and you're doing that thing where you're getting to know each other and I said, Oh, what do you do? He's like, I work in in fashion. I was like, Oh, I actually own my own little clothing company. It'd be great to g- get your advice on the do's and the don'ts and this and that and he went oh now's probably not the best time but let's meet up for a coffee or whatever I was like great what's your email address I'll send you an email it's like ceo at com."
0: no
2: yeah
1: so I've stood there with the the owner of Kurt Geiger and his singer and and you're just like this wouldn't happen anywhere else yeah you can't go to the football and here is David Beckham's nephew or whatever yeah because they're all going closed off and it's all their own little hush hush little groups Mm. whereas in the car world you can go to effectively a car meet at vista and harry mackoff's there who's founder of evo magazine done all this but if you didn't know any of that it's just some old guy in a nice car
2: yeah
1: and he's chatting he'll come and say hello and you'll get talking away like it's such a universal leveler Mm -hmm. and as a relative outsider like it's hard to be a relative outsider now four years into kind of being around the car world Mm. and at the point where someone will give me a ticket because they go we know who you are here is a ticket. To go into that environment and still go, I like cars. What do you drive? Like it's so much more interesting than going. Oh, he's so and so, Lord so and so, and he's got this and like that little seventeen seventy one club at Bicester is always a bit of an anomaly because it's like Mm. that looks really boring, Mm -hmm. but it's exclusive for the sake of being exclusive. Mm -hmm. But I have no desire to be there. Rather be wandering around with all the cars and the dogs and the people.
0: Yeah, it's It's interesting interesting as well because I think that way you can take people for who they are. Yeah, not for who that you think they are from what you've seen in you know on social media in the media Things like that, you know, you just take them for who they are, and yeah. and I think that's a really nice way to be because I get to interview cool people, you know, I was with Richard Hammond and things like that, and like, you know, the the, the kind of the big names, and it's like actually, at the end of the day, person, I spent a day with him at his workshop. He's just a dude. He had a stale cupcake on his desk. He was like, "Would you like it?" And I was like, "No, thanks," <laughs> yeah. you know. And he was talking to me about, you know, I was asking him what it was like when he was working away a lot, and how that was with family and those kinds of things. We were having chats about just life stuff exactly how you and i have today just talking about stuff and things yeah. because he's just normal of course you get that like wow you know it's it's someone it's but then go, fundamentally million people
1: know who this man is
0: yeah but if he'd have been rude i'd have be been like well he was a wally yeah, yeah don't like that man but you know so but i think that's a, a nice thing to have is that i can just kind of be like well you know take people for who they are and if they were nice on that day that you met them they were a nice person to me and yeah. that's that. So,
1: No, it's great. Uh, it really does encapsulate the car world and the, the kind of the accessibility that we have and mm. we're, we're quite fortunate to be in the environment that we're in and the people are the people that they are. Like, I think it's a very nice demographic and I think it's one that people who aren't in it don't understand.
0: Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Because they see the fast cars and the car crashes and the noise and, and they go, oh, it's just disruptive you go, know, no. There's this whole other side to this world that you won't ever encounter because you only see the the bad stuff that gets the coverage. Mm. The people that don't know cars don't know what Bicester Heritage is, and they don't know about the scrambles, and they mm. don't they don't appreciate how that works. There's probably stuff that we don't know about. Like there's probably like oh shooting owners, they're really lovely people. They just go and shoot pigeons and stuff like that. But they are they're all from all walks of life. And yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I don't go and do it, so I have no idea what it's like. Yeah. And it's a, it's a nice kind of environment to to be accessible to. And it's nice to hear that you, as a woman within the car industry, and I know it can be very tokenized. and I had a conversation with someone about a media project with some, some people that I know that do video production. And they're like, is there a young woman part of your group? Because if not, we're not that interested. And it was like...
2: That's terrible. That's
1: really shit. Like, we're all under 30 as well. We're interested in classic cars. We're a rare enough bunch as it is.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and it was, like, a really weird, like oh, no, I didn't expect there to be that much tokenism. Mm-hmm. And I can understand from the perspective of the production company, it's we need to get as many eyeballs as we can, let's find the niches. Yeah,
2: but, but it but shouldn't also... be the
1: reason people are being sought after.
0: <laughs> but it also sort of like shuts the door in your face and you yeah. have a seat at the table too. And I think that's what's really important with the the sort of gender balance um, discussions is to say like, Yes, we want more, more of a balanced you know, representation, but at the end of the day, we shouldn't try and do that at the detriment of, of the men that are already involved in the scene. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah. because you guys have worked hard to get noticed in the first place by that production company. So, okay, you may not have a female now, but there might be one in the future, and, and you shouldn't have that door shut on you because you don't have a female in your group. Like, and, and I do find that this whole argument or discussion or argument quite tricky because at the end of the day, if you're a woman and you're not interested in cars, by putting a gin and tonic tent at a car show is not going to like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's we're not that basic. It, I love a gin and tonic, but there's, there are questions where it's like, you know, how can we encourage more women to get involved? at this car show, oh, we could have a gin tent. We could have it. It's like, well, you've got to start further back than that. You've people got to show people the tent, that there's a lifestyle that involves, you know, that's, that's, again, my thing is like, okay, I'm not necessarily involved, you know, um, interested in the nuances of the engineering and the mechanics. I want to know about that and I want to empower myself with that knowledge so that I can look after my car and have that independence.
2: Yeah.
0: But I'm not that interested in, you know the 19 something version had the so and so i find it interesting when someone's telling me that they're interested in that because i love seeing that passion yeah that's what i find interesting about it but you know you've got to show people if you want to keep this scene going that there's a lifestyle that is beyond that stuff it's you know where you can go in the car who you can meet in that car how those passions manifest themselves. Oh, I could buy myself some jewellery. I could buy myself a lamp that's upcycled from old car parts. I could go and see this guy that's doing some heritage uh, sign painting. Like, It's all the stuff around it. That's how we can create a more diverse community, showing that the community is diverse in the way that it, the interest kind of lives. You know, it's yeah, not yeah. just about that motor. It's about so much more than that. So having a gin tent at a show is not going to make that gender balance equalise. No. And it's also the diversity within the scene, you know, the whole thing needs to shake up, you know, because... But I think it is, it's is—it's on its way and I find this, you know, as a, as a female I've experienced some, you know, pretty tough situations um, at car shows and things like that in the way that I've been spoken to and treated. And it's, you know, I wrote about that this in International Women's Day and, and I spoke to some other women about it and there is still a lot of... Um, you know, room for improvement and stuff needs to change but I find generally it's the older generation that I get that, you know, I receive that sort of negativity from. Yeah. Younger generations, no, you know, so, not, that's not tarring everyone no, with no, that no, brush no. I know but what you mean. from my lived experiences that's as where an I've received that from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas the younger generation I've not had that oh. at all. Not well, had that hopefully problem. as,
1: as we work on the the change of the enthusiast to be more encompassing of ages, it also will encompass the, gen- mm-hmm. the gender situation as mm-hmm. well because we're going to find this middle ground across the wall and we will have these pendulum swings in both ways. Mm-hmm. Like It's not going to be an overnight change. Not like we're, Top Gear is going to change tomorrow and all of a sudden, oh, it's a female presenter and all the women in the country now like cars. Like it's It's not a smooth... Simple fix, it's mm. going to take this continuous thing and the continuous work of people like yourself. And as we, we spoke about earlier, um, I think it was before we were recording Helen Stanley, who's been on the podcast, and um, I had Vanessa Rook as my previous guest to this one first lady to be like entering the Dakar level rallies on a motorbike and stuff Incredible. like that. Like it takes these kind of like pioneers and just people to go, You can do it, it's just a normal thing, anyone could do it, it's not specific. You don't have to be a guy to like cars. You don't have to be a girl to not like cars. Like, it's not a gender-specific thing. It's just so happened that in the past, probably because of how society's formed, it's fell that way. Yeah, absolutely. And now we're moving into a new kind of way, well, most of us are. America is still a bit of a touchy subject at the minute, where it can be accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And we'll find that it becomes more accessed by more people.
2: Yeah. Um, I think
0: it's really exciting. I think it's really, really exciting to see you know where it's going to go in the future and the way that events change and you know how car ownership changes and, and what people do with their cars and stuff like that I think it's wicked I think it's a really cool place to be and a really nice space to be within it's just finding the right tribe to enjoy it with
1: yeah no I agree and I think that probably gives us quite a nice like wrap-up point at an hour and 50
0: well, Hey, <laughs> um,
1: and I my phone did just buzz because my uh, my laptop pinged as well um
0: we have a visitor. <laughs> it's,
1: a, funny enough, someone that I'd like to introduce you to who happens to be passing by and we're going to go and grab coffee. So if you've got time, you're more than welcome to come it with coffee. Fab, yeah. Um yeah. But no, I think that's a really nice point to, to kind of wrap things up on. And the only thing left is to go, well, where can people find you? We've already touched on Practical Classics yep where else
0: so uh, I'm in Practical Classics magazine every month with my opinion column I write extensively for Haggerty um, and also ambassador for them this year Very which nice. is super exciting so I'll be at events uh, including uh, Festival of the Unexceptional Radwood I'll be at the Hill Climb in May so yeah I'm I'll all be of them so I'll see you there fantastic <laughs> you can uh, come and join me and say hello to everyone yeah. um, I also write for Country Living magazine randomly um, which is really really fun uh, i do a series of interviews for mike brewer as well uh, i do occasional pieces for octane and if you look out for me this summer you might see me on some television screens perhaps maybe um, be fun. so yeah keep an eye on me i am on uh, instagram and twitter which is at charlotte valden and my surname is always a funny one so it's spelled v for victor o w d e n for november <laughs> that's Perfect. my uh, that's how i always say it when you're on the telephone so yeah it's at charlotte valden you can find me on twitter and instagram doing my thing so Amazing. yeah please join me there and thank you for listening if you made it this far <laughs> well,
1: thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure Right, right i'm going to stop the recording now if my mouse will reconnect <laughs>